Well, good morning. My name is Matt, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it is great to be with you um, today. Um, I don't know if you have maybe ever tried to rake about 15,000 square foot of dirt and rake all the rocks out of it at one time. If you have, um, I'm very, very sorry, uh, because about four years ago, um, we got 40, 40 truckloads of dirt delivered to our house. 40. I'm talking Mack trucks of dirt, okay? We had some water issues, right? Um, and uh, so we flattened all this dirt out with a professional who used, you know, tools and everything. And then we had to, in the span of about five days, try and rake out all the rocks from this dirt in order to plant grass. Now, if you know me at all, I love grass. It needs to look good. It needs to be right. So we're raking, Becky and I, f every, every time after work till sundown. And I'm thinking this is going to take, you know, like 10 hours maybe. 30 hours later, we are still raking. It's never going to end. Our backs hurt. Becky, who's like at this point indentured labor, is like, I can't do it anymore. I can't do it anymore. So on that Saturday, it was looking like forecast of rain on Monday, which meant like I got to get the seed down. Are there other like grass people here who are like feeling me right now? Okay. So like it, it matters. If it doesn't matter to you, you just let God change your heart. It's fine. Um, <clears throat> But, like, rain's coming, which means you've got to get the seed down. It really, really, really matters to the kingdom, okay? Um, and, but there's no way. There is no way. We're, like, like barely two-thirds of the way done. And, uh, and so on that Saturday, uh, Becky looks at me. He's like, we're going to have to get some help. And so I reach out to a um, community group at the time and end up with about a dozen people coming over and spending about two to two and a half hours raking rocks out of our yard. I think we had, I don't know, 20 wheelbarrows, 30 wheelbarrows full of rocks that ended up getting pulled out of there. That set of texts, will you come over on this Sunday afternoon, a.k.a. tomorrow, and rake rocks out of my yard was one of the hardest things I've had to ask it for in a long, long time. And we really, really needed it. There was, like, nowhere else to go, it felt like. Well, we're in a series um, called Becoming Good at People. And uh, a couple weeks ago when we kicked this off, we talked about how Jesus is the best at people. Jesus was the best at people. He's one who was able to engage people with intentionality and purpose and brought change to their lives because he was amazing at people through the power of the Spirit. So when we say becoming good at people, we say that it's basically just another way of saying that we're becoming the kind of people who love our neighbor as ourselves, becoming the kinds of people who are embodying practices of relating that are reflective of the heart of God and that are, that are born out of the movement of the gospel through us. And that's powerful. We believe it's powerful because it's an invitation that God gives through his scriptures to his people to be a kind of community that relates particularly to one another in transformative ways. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about the power of curiosity and then last week, Steve walked us through the power of comforting. And this week, we're going to focus on the power of receiving, the power of being in the need and receiving. Now, I, uh, I believe that there's a, a way of thinking through this. I'm going to walk us through by the idea of receiving a need. And it's something that's built into us, and it's built into the Scriptures. It's a foundation. If you think about it, for, for any Christian... The very foundation of our faith is based on the fact that we're really, really 
in need, desperately in need, the scriptures would say. That we are a people who have to be rescued, who have to be atoned for, who have to be redeemed. We are people who must receive from God. Not people who have, not, not people who have earned anything, not people who are owed something, but people who must receive from him. That, that grace is, is, a, is a gift. The gospel of grace is received when it's asked for undeservedly. That we were without hope and without God in this world. That we were enemies of God, but God. But God. So we don't demand grace. We must receive it. We're in need of it. Now, for those of you who are Christians, you probably realize that this goes beyond just the reality of our salvation. The Apostle Paul says it plainly when he says in 1 Corinthians 4, what do you have, he says, that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as though you did not receive it? Paul's saying that there's nothing that you have that you did not receive. So what do you have? Maybe you have the iPhone 11. You received the iPhone 11, Scripture would say. Maybe you have the iPhone 8, and you're like, ah. Now maybe you're just one of the sad people that has like an Android platform, and you're just like, you know what, I don't know that I received this. This kind of fell upon me, you know, from the pit of it came up. Who knows, right? Um. But everything you have, everything you have on, everything you drove over here, Paul's saying everything you have has been received. And you notice in that passage, and we'll get back to this in a minute, that the opposite of receiving is boasting. I find that fascinating. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But James 1 kind of goes further, declares it more, more clearly. He says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Now, anytime the scripture says, hey, don't be deceived, it's because you're likely going to be deceived about this. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Friends, loved ones, God is the giver. We're the receivers. God gives, we receive. And one of the primary ways that the Father of lights gives these good gifts to his people, these, these perfect gifts to his people, to you is through other people, through us. So the primary ways in which he does these great things, these good gifts to you. So being in need and receiving isn't just the foundation of our faith, though it is. It's the basis from which we begin. It's a place from which we begin. But it's also the example of faith of our faith in the scriptures. And of course, you start with Jesus in that way. Now, of course, if you read the Gospels, people are always coming to Jesus with needs, right? I mean, you see it over and over and over again. And Jesus meets those needs. He heals people. He serves them, right? That's everywhere. There's no doubt about that. That's, that's the case. But, but we also see that Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is in need. He receives Jesus didn't appear on earth as a full-grown man. Jesus came as a baby. We just had Christmas. You all remember that part? He came as a baby. You know what babies are like? They are needy. They require everything. 
They, not only do they have to be fed and cared for, they have to be protected from the heat, from the cold, from their siblings, <laughs> from, from real problems like snakes and sharks. I mean, like, there's a, there's a need, right? Like, there's definite, that's, that's how... That's how needy Jesus was. He came that ready and eager and needing to receive from Mary and Joseph and his community. But even as a man, as he steps into his ministry, we see Jesus full grown. He's tired. He's in need of, of solitude or he's just in need of sleep on a boat. We see him thirsty and people bringing him something to drink. We see him hungry and, and food being provided He's poor enough that, that wealthy women are having to support everything about their entire ministry all the way along. One particular incident, I think, is one of the, I think it's one of the most powerful moments of watching Jesus just receive. It happens in Matthew 26, and it says um, Jesus came to uh, Simon the leper's house and leper, not leopard. Um, it says, a woman came to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. Jesus just let it happen. She comes with a very expensive, and, and he just lets it, he just receives it. He just wholeheartedly just takes in this extravagant gift, this, this bold move on this woman's behalf. He just leans back, and receives it. It's so significant that when the, um, the apostles start saying, well, they, they get indignant about it, and he corrects them, and he says this amazing sentence. He says, she has done a beautiful thing to me. I, I needed that. He says, don't you understand? It's, it's, to, prepare me for, it's to prepare me for burial. And, but I, I needed that. Thank you. And by the way, in your, your name, whatever this gospel is told, you're, you're, you're going to be remembered for, for this because it impacted me. But just a couple days later, Jesus is going to find himself with his disciples on the final night of his life. And he takes his disciples up to Gethsemane. And in Matthew 26, we read this. He says, In taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples, and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch with me. Jesus is inviting, in, in, in one of the, maybe the most pivotal moment of his entire life, Jesus is inviting his disciples to be with him, into his need. My soul is very sorrowful, he says. Watch with me. I, I need you guys. I need your companionship in this moment. I need, I need your encouragement your partnership, as I, as, I, as I carry this weighty thing that no other man will ever carry. Loved ones, we're fundamentally wired to let other people meet our needs. Jesus was the most alive human in the world, and, and he needed other people to meet his needs, to receive from them. 
Jesus needed them. If you think about this theologically, God has positioned himself in vulnerability to receive from us, to receive praise from us or scorn. Like God has made himself available to be able to be rejected or to be accepted and and loved. You can grieve the heart of God. He has made you, and you and I can grieve the heart of God. When we praise him, he receives it as praise. It livens his heart. He delights in the praises of his people, it says. Jesus was in need, and Jesus received in his need wholeheartedly. And this kind of living, this this expressing need and being the kind of people who are going to be open to receiving, putting ourselves in a position to become become changed by receiving is a mark of the early church. Paul himself repeatedly expresses it. 1 Corinthians 2, 2 and 3 says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Listen to verse 3. And I was with you in, in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. He's not floating above the ground. He's like, I came to you kind of needy. I came to you with all kinds of things going on internally, all kinds of attacks from the outside. He says in Galatians 4, when he went to the Galatians, he says, you know, Galatians, it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. Paul's like, the only reason I came and shared the gospel with you is I came, like, I was a mess. We don't know what the ailment was, but later on he says, I'm pretty sure that you would have plucked out your own eye and given it to me. Like, that's how much I felt received. That's how much I was in need when I arrived. And I I gave you the gospel, but I gave it to you in, in weakness and out of need. Philippians 4, while Paul's in prison, he says, I have received full payment, Philippians, and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. I think one of the, one of the most touching passages in all of Paul's writing is, is in 2 Timothy chapter, chapter 4. This is the, these are some of the last words Paul will pen that we'll hear from him. And, and here's what he says to his disciple Timothy that he's been working with for, for at least a decade and a half at this point. And here, let's, let's listen to Paul's declaration, okay? Don't, don't just hear the words. Listen to, um, don't just hear the words. Hear the words, but listen to what he's saying. He's saying to Timothy all the way at the end of his letter, do your best to come to me soon. For, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and, and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and, and, and Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. If you've read the Bible and if you're familiar with Paul, you know, he's like the thunder guy, right? 
He's all the way at the end of his life here, and people are deserting him right and left. He's in prison in Rome. And you can just hear the plea. Do you hear the vulnerability in Paul? When he's asking Timothy, what's underneath what he's asking is, Timothy, are you going to come? Are you going to desert too? That's what he's asking him. Do your best to come soon. And when you come, will you bring the things that matter to our faith, the parchments? And, and will you bring the cloak? Because I need, I need a cloak. I'm in need, Timothy. My soul's in need. I've, I've been deserted. And my body's in need. I need, I need a cloak. We look at the beginning of the church. Acts chapter 4 has that great, you know, call and declaration about what's going on. It says, there, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and, and bought, brought the proceeds and what they had sold, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each who had any need. I mean, it's just that beautiful. Every time we read this, like, man, that's how the church should be. One of the things that's maybe hidden in this reality of this kind of communal living is that some people brought things that they had sold and other people were in need. And the only reason that there was a reason to sell land, you know, to care for the need, like the women, the, like the, the widows, the Greek widows in, in chapter 6, is, is that they declared their need. They articulated the reality of like, yeah, we're not making it. I'm not making it. And the needs were met. Maybe it was fundamentally, if you think about, as we talk about these one another's, right? In some ways, we're just working through a set of the 59 one another's in the scriptures. Love one another. And here's a bunch of ways in which that, that plays itself out. But as we think about it, the one another's imply that someone is in need. By default, right? Care for one another implies that there is someone who needs care. Serve one another implies that someone needs to be served. Forbear one another implies that someone needs to be forbear, er, duh, forbearing. Comfort one another implies that someone has articulated the reality of their need for comfort. Forgive one another that implies that someone, <laughs> someone has articulated the need for them to be forgiven. You see, there's there's one side of the one another, and there's the other side of the one another. And candidly, all the sermons I've ever heard preach talk about the things you're supposed to do over here, right? But the reality is, I think we really struggle over here, especially in this culture. I mean, this culture. I don't know if it's just this room, but this culture. So what are you in need of this morning? Like, seriously, what, what, do you, what are you in need of this morning? I suspect you all ate this morning. So probably not super hungry. But what are you in need of? Is, is there anything? So I think receiving in our need it takes on many forms. It's built in, but it takes on many forms, different kinds of ways in which we receive. I think that the thing that's most natural when we think about being in need is being financially in need, right? Which is, of course, very real and very tangible. And some of us go through seasons where we are financially in need. But that, that's real, and that's a way in which you can declare that you are in need. You can be honest with the reality that that's your need, but it's not the only thing. It's not just financial. It's not just I can't pay rent or cover medical bills. There's physical needs, right? 
there's moving things, there's, there's kids being watched, there's giving a ride to somebody, there's, there's raking someone's backyard, right? Real physical needs. There's companionship, a longing for community, friendship, to fend off loneliness and isolation. I, I, I can't tell you, like, I've had more conversations since the talk a couple weeks ago when I started talking about isolation and loneliness. I've talked to a bunch of you, and you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely fighting off loneliness and isolation. So it's true. And so you're in need of community, of friendship, of, of connection, of belonging, companionship. Some of the needs we need is, is mentoring, learning, development, training. Like some of you don't know how to handle your finances, but you've been faking it and pretending for years, and now it's kind of like too late because you should know. So, so we're not willing to learn. Some of you don't know how to read your Bibles or how to pray. And you're like, I didn't. I remember I was in seminary. I hadn't read um, um, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. I was like in my final year of seminary, and I'd never read the book. And I didn't want to tell anyone. Because, you know, like if you're a Christian, if you've been in seminary for years, like if you haven't read Mere Christianity, it's like, well, you're not really a Christian. <laughs> but it's like, and so in my final, one of my final classes, there was an option of three, to, of, of you had to read three books of any choice, and I chose Mere Christianity. <laughs> and some of that was repentance, because I was like, I'm not on it. I want to read that book. I should read that book. I needed to read that book, right? What do you need to know, learn, train, develop, and to move you out of immaturity towards maturity? What kind of crisis or struggle are you in the midst of that you're trying to cover over? your marriage or with your kids, maybe with your work. Some of us need help with addiction. We're just not willing to call what, what it is. And maybe it's just light, addiction, addiction light, you know? It's almost addiction, but not quite there. And, and maybe sometimes we're just waiting for it to become there. And, and accountability, real things. These are real things, not just money. Some of you need accountability in your life. You need a group of people that are going to come around and help you become a freer person. We're in real need. Some of us need just emotional support to be heard and comforted. I was thinking about this in the midst of Steve Sturman last week. This is not me adding to your sermon, I promise. Um, but, you know, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, right? It's one of the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. If you don't mourn, you won't be comforted. You know what mourning is? It's owning the fact that you are hurting and sad and sorrowful to other people so that they can come and comfort you. Yes, to the Lord. Of course to the Lord. Yes, but to other people. But if, if you're not going to mourn, like I got this, or I should be beyond this at this point, then, then you're not going to be comforted. But you need to be. It's past... Uh, about 10 days ago, so I was talking with, about this with um, a few folks on our preaching team, and Ivy Tyson told me the story, and so I asked permission for, to tell it because it was so fitting, um, probably because of how ordinary it is. And I think that's actually where a lot of us are. But she was talking about how the fact she, she's from Colorado, so at Christmas time she goes back to Colorado Springs, gets to see all these people who have had just a significant impact on her life, some of the closest friends, uh, church community, et cetera, and and she was there, and she was preparing to come back to Atlanta. She'd only been here a couple of years or so. And um, she realized something, that, that she was planning on coming back to Atlanta and taking an Uber home from the airport. 
I say what struck me is I realized I never do that when I go to Colorado Springs. That's some of what makes it home is I just, I call people until someone's picking me up. Because I love to be with them, and I believe, and I believe we have the equity to say, you want to be with me. And so I don't even question it, but when I come back here, I'm like, I don't, I don't want to inconvenience anyone. And I don't want to take up someone's time or energy. When I asked her about it, I asked her to kind of draft, to write it to me, and she said the root of that un- desire and that unwillingness to ask, she says, I'm often scared to ask people for something I want because of me being rejected or ignored is worse than never asking at all. Asking sometimes to someone to pick me up felt like a risk because I, it wasn't really a need. I can afford an Uber, but I wanted to feel at home here. I wanted someone to help me with that lonely hour from the airport to the apartment like family would. But I also realized that no one here knew that about me. If I never asked someone to pick me up, they wouldn't even know that that's something that I needed. And so she reached out to her community group. And a couple of them said, we'll be there, and picked her up. What's awesome is Brian and and Leslie picked her up, and Brian was in the room as as Ivy told the story. And uh, he's like, oh, man, I didn't even realize that that's the need I was meeting. And I think it was meaningful to both of you in that moment. We don't like to be in need. We hate being in need. Because receiving in our need, it takes on our flesh. It assaults our flesh, actually. Why are so many of us really bad at receiving and expressing need? Well, whether we're willing to admit it or not, most of us resist it at any cost. We don't want something, we don't want something to know, someone to know that we need something this much, and I think there's a few reasons for that. One is, is that we've associated self-sufficiency with righteousness. Like, if you can take care of you, then you have good character. I think that's built into our national creeds, right? Like, if you can, it's meritocracy, right? If you can figure out a way to make it happen, then good job on you. And you're really, and I think we've moved that into our faith and said, if you can, if you can pull it off all on your own, well, well done. Maturity. It's the other way around. I should have gotten this for myself. Need is failure. Somehow, I should have succeeded. You see, somehow, I should have known or figured out that it was going to take that long to rake it, or I should have hired someone, and, and now my back is against the wall, and I feel like a fool, and I'm, reason number two, embarrassed. I should have planned better. I'm looking like an idiot in front of people that I want to respect me. I'm asking them for something that maybe they can or can't deliver on, and I'm inconveniencing people. There's a shame associated with being needy. I mean, just think of the word. Like, how many times have you been like, well, I don't want to be needy? Like, needy is the one, I think it's one of the worst words in the world, isn't it? Like, if someone called you needy, are you just like, okay, we're done, I'm moving? (laughs) It's the worst. It's embarrassing. 
And I think some of us don't express and articulate our need because we feel the burden of comparative suffering. We see, yeah, but this just happened over here to them. And like, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, I got this. Friends, like, someone's always got it worse. You have real needs. I just articulated some of them. Some of them nobody even knows about. But someone's got, someone probably needs your energy or your attention or, or probably needs the time in, the, in our community group to share this. And I, I don't want to, you know, probably the elders have a lot to do. They shouldn't pray over, over not me, not this small problem. Like, I pray over myself, you know. <laughs> Imperative. Ter- comparative suffering. But the, the biggest one, the biggest reason, the reason why we don't is because we're afraid. We just need to own that reality that we're afraid. The number one reason why we don't articulate our need is that we're afraid that we're not worth it. That if you really take the thing that you're in need of and you present it before people, that they will say, yeah, you're just not worth the cost. And, and of course, the bigger and more significant the need, the more likely it is that maybe they can't handle it. And so because it's happened to you before, right, You've expressed and articulated desire and longing and need, real need, things that could really impact you and it, and it was missed. Well, then don't do it again or just do it with the small stuff, you know, the attainable things. That's not how we become good at people. I know you're going like, this seems like the way in which you get people to not want to be around you. No, no, see, when we're honest and true with the reality of what we need, we free other people to be likewise instead of pretending like we all have it together. Now, guys, I, I love our church, and I hopefully I don't believe we're the kind of church where the questions that we ask one another is not, you good, right? Like, how you doing? Good, good. That we have the opportunity, the freedom to be like, no, not good. Bad week, bad day, bad current reality. I'm, I'm in need. One, one of the questions that we try to have at the bottom of every single community group questionnaire is, okay, in light of all the things you just shared, like, what can we do to help? How can we shoulder up to help you move towards what God has for you? Because it sounds like you might have had some need in there. What's so funny is most of us are like, no, no, I, I, I got it. I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll take it from here. I thank you for hearing me. I'll take it from here. You know you, right? You're smiling. You're smiling at me because you know you. That's how we do it, right? This is not maturity, friends, loved ones. This is not godliness. This is fear. Fear that people won't meet us in what we need and fear that God's not big enough to catch us on the other side when they fail. Jesus walks back to his disciples and they are asleep. None of us will ever, ever have a moment of greater need than Jesus had in that garden, ever. And they failed. He asked them and they failed. And you know what? He made it because he had the voice of the Father. You see, that's, that's the craziest thing. so off my notes at this point. <clears throat> the only way that we're going to become the kind of people that are going to be ex- able to express and articulate needs like Paul did, the only way this is going to be true is if we know that we have a God who catches us on the other side. 
who has, uh, Peter, first, uh, Peter says, his divine power, Peter says, has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us this, his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. He's saying you get to be invited into the Trinity. You get to be invited into the divine nature, into the reality of what that means, having escaped from the corruption that this world because of sinful nature. He's saying, he's saying his divine power has given you everything you need. And you're like, okay, cool, so I don't need people. No, 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 that's not what he's saying. He's given you everything you need, including this, for life and godliness. I've got you, God is saying. And only, and this is the craziest thing, especially for those of us who just don't do this, who, who, who refuse to put ourselves in a place where we're going to be in need. We're going to be able to receive well. Like some of you guys, I'll like encourage you or like praise you about something. You get all squirrely and weird. It's like you don't know how to receive good things. Like, rah, you just, it's just, it's because we're uncomfortable with it. It's like, no, receive this. This is a good thing about you. Embrace it, receive it, delight in it. Some of us don't know how. We, we put ourselves only on one side of the one another's. We serve one another's. We, we love one another's, but we're not over here. We haven't learned to position ourselves, and this is, this is, um, Something to evaluate. I believe that to the degree in which we have learned to receive from the Lord and from one another, are we able to give and offer ourselves with a pure and true heart. I would say that if you cannot receive and will not admit need, then what you're giving is actually about you. It has to be because you actually don't know the currency of what's, being trans what's transpiring here. Does that make sense? It's actually, it's, 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 about some kind, it's about power. It's about transaction. You're a benefactor, and benefactors get to feel good about themselves, but that's not love, see? Love costs for the good of the connection, for the good of what God's trying to do in both people. And so, friends, loved ones, if, if there is no place where you need, where you've articulated or expressed or regularly declaring to the people connected to you where your needs are, then my question is, what does your service look like? What is that one anothering coming from? You're needy people. It's worse than you think. We need one another. One of the things I think we're afraid of is that if we all said out loud all the things that we need, that all we'd all be like, oh my gosh, too much need. We can't handle this, right? I mean, just, I mean, the news alone throws that over the edge, let alone each other, which is the real, you know, muck. But man, imagine, just imagine a community of people who are going to take the risk of honestly declaring what they need and inviting people to try to meet those needs and then being solid enough, rooted and grounded in love, the scripture says, that you can ask without demanding it. Man, then we have a free community of people that, that receive and, and offer what they can and, and then ask other people to meet people where they are needed and and where the gaps are, we pray for one another and encourage one another as best we can. All right, a couple practices. Some of you need to come and get the elders to pray for you. You do. 
Like you got stuff going on in your body, you got sickness, right? I mean, Scripture could not be clearer about this. Um, I told you I was lost in my place. Um, can you throw up the, just throw the Scripture out for me. Thank you. Um, is anyone, <laughs> hey, it's that kind of Sunday. Um, is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Like some of you just need people to, to just pray over you and anoint you with oil. Because the Bible says it's good for you. I mean, it's, it's mystery to us, but it's, but it's good for you. Because you're going like, I, I'm sick and need it, I need it. And, and it goes beyond that. We've had people come because, because they, don't, they haven't been able to find work. And they're overcome by it. And they, they need people that they know can, will talk to God earnestly and honestly on their behalf that will pray for them. That's what your community groups are built around. I saw something this week. Talk about practice. This is the practice. Take the risk of asking. Um, Michelle Horgan posted something on Facebook just a few days ago, right? Michelle's a single mom. She's got three kids, works a full-time job. And uh, she put something on Facebook saying, I need some help with uh, boxing things up to get ready to, to move to a new place. But this is the first line of, of her post. She said, hello, wonderful church. It feels odd asking for help, but I know I must. I love that. I, I wish that it didn't feel odd to ask, right? But we all get that, right? We all, there's, there's a sense of like, well, <laughs> It shouldn't feel odd to ask, right? Like, there's no shame here. Like, the actual real help is needed. But I must. That's repentance. Like, that's the repentance that some of you need that you're like, I don't, I'll never ask for help. I never have. I don't declare my need to people. That doesn't work for me. I don't receive. Thank you, Michelle. Seriously. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to, we're going to just practice this. Everybody take out your phones. Open up your text browser. Don't read your texts from your friends from last night about the games or whatever. Just open, seriously, go, go for it. It's a real, real exercise. Open up, open up a new text, and I want you to just articulate a need. Not a need that the Lord can meet directly. There are plenty of those, and pray about those, okay? I want you to draft out a real need that's present tense that you tangibly need to be met by other people, by someone else or a set of people. I want you to type it out. Maybe three minutes, just type it out. I don't even know who you need to send it to at this point. That depends on what you're writing. But that's, what, that's, the wor- that's your exercise, okay? So maybe three minutes. We're going to play some music. Go ahead and type out the one need that you have, present tense, right now, that God can meet you in through his people.
How do we become the kind of people who vulnerably articulate our needs and choose to receive from one another? We have to be rooted and grounded in love. When we're rooted and grounded in God's love, we can be missed or unmet and still have buoyancy in our spirit, still have an open heart. And on top of that, we don't come to people demanding and they feel free to meet us where they can because we're rooted and grounded somewhere else. You see, that, that's why we come to this table every week because it reminds us, it reminds us that our need was total, right? Like Christ hung, hung on the cross to declare to us, declare to you, like your need was total. And on him, in his death and in his resurrection, he declared that the total need was met. So now your sons and daughters, like your debt is paid for you belong, and, and rough things are going to come to your life, but, but he has you because you're rooted and you're grounded in him. The way we become those kinds of people who are able to articulate our needs, real needs, the, the need under the need, not just I need a ride, but I need a ride because it's a lonely drive home from the airport. That kind of honest need that invites people to move towards without demanding it, that kind of thing comes from the fact that we belong to one who's already met us. And if you're in Jesus, that's what's true about you this morning, that you belong to him and it is well with your soul, even when it doesn't feel well with your soul. That's... That's what this table invites us into. It's, you realize you come, you don't take communion. You receive communion. You receive the elements and they declare something to you that you must know if you're going to become these kinds of people. And that's the invitation that you have again this morning. So let me pray. Father, Thank you. We have, in Christ, received everything we need for life and godliness. Wow. And so this morning, we want to we wanna take hold of that in a way that invites us and allows us to be the kind of people who live as full-hearted human beings in need where we're in need and honest with it and able to receive when those needs are met. We want to be those kinds of people because those are the kinds of people that are attractive to the world that's pretending and pulling up their bootstraps and trying to earn something. And Lord, we don't have to earn anything anymore. You earned it for us on Calvary. And so we receive that today. And, and as we come and we take these elements, we want it to go deep in our souls. We want to be free people, more free tomorrow than we were today. And so, Lord, may we be a community of people who are both sides of the one another, who love one another with a whole heart, and that, that would be to the praise of your glory, and that would be satisfying to us as a community, and it would be a light to the world. That's our prayer. Would you do it for your namesake? We pray in Christ. Amen. Well, this meal, if you belong to Christ, belongs to you. So come and receive the body and the blood of Christ for you.